Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. I have quite a few friends who are into bird watching, and I had the opportunity, well, back in, I think it was 2007, um, to travel along the Canning Stock Route in Western Australia. Uh, with uh, a couple of uh, friends who were very, very keen in um, into watching um, birds and photographing and uh, recording birds. In fact, there were, were three. Uh, one of um, my friends uh, was actually a, um, a zoologist, had a, had a doctorate in the area of zoology and, and um, had studied uh, swiftlets. And uh, there was a particular uh, parrot that they were hoping to see and and, para- and uh, photograph on this trip. I think it was called a princess parrot. And I was um, amazed at their skill, actually, at being able to uh, see um, the different birds in nature and, and, and spot them and then be able to look at them with their binoculars. Uh, some of the mo- most interesting birds, of course, are very small birds, and some birds live on the on the ground. But um, my friend was certainly uh, very keen. One of the uh, other friends who had uh, was with me had um, written uh, written some books on birds and and had them uh, published, like the birds of Bougainville and uh, different Pacific Islands. So it was. Um, I, I found it really interesting uh, afterwards, uh, you know, hear, hearing these uh, folk talk about the different birds. And of course, we saw more birds around where there was water. So if there was some sort of spring or pond, there were likely to be more birds around that area. And where I live uh, at home here, we have a um, small creek and a swamp down the bottom of our property and it attracts a lot of birds and there are certainly some beautiful birds come in there. We sometimes get swans, black swans um, come in there and occasionally too we f- see an eagle fly overhead and it's interesting how the, the other birds will react when they see these big birds of prey flying around and um Occasionally we've had a, an owl uh, sit on a fence post as we've come home overnight. Um, we've uh, seen uh, the owl type as tawny frogmouth uh, species. And um, yeah, they're certainly inspiring birds. I could look at, at, at some of these unusual birds uh, and particularly owls. Uh, recently I was reading an article uh, about owls because owls are a little bit different to other, other birds. Matter of fact, we, <laughs> I mean, while birds are beautiful and that, they also come in and get our grapes and I've ne- netted um, our, our grapes in the, in the season but, um, and I was able to keep out the, um, uh, the, the parrots but we'd had bushfires nearby and there were, um, and we noticed that because of the bushfires, that obviously burnt out the nests or natural habitat of some of the birds. We now had different birds visiting our property, 
and we had some um, bowerbirds uh, now come, and they were they were so good at getting through my netting and getting to the grapes, finding um, little gaps somewhere. And so I bought some owls, some modern owls, and uh, some model owls uh, just from the hardware store, and. Uh, set two of these up, and it was very interesting. That kept the the, the parrots away. They uh, saw the owls and whoops, hang on, we're not going near there. But the bowerbirds dived on them, and when they saw that they could knock them over, they um, then got in. So I thought it was very interesting this this bird be- behaviour. But the interesting thing about um, owls was there a number of different characteristics that I was uh, reading about. And one of the facts was that um, one of the owls that was studied, I think it's an American species called the great grey owl, and it can, uh, according to the research, hear the squeak of a mouse half a kilometre away. And you notice when you look at the 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 owls, they have this dish-shaped face, and they have these little feathers that stick on the top of top of their heads that look like ears. Well, those feathers apparently are not ears at all. Matter of fact, the sound mechanism is in behind feathers on their face, and that dish-shaped face that the owls have actually is like a satellite dish in a way, I suppose, but instead of uh, focusing radiation, um, it focuses the sound waves um, into the uh, ear area. And it's quite fascinating that the owls have lots of extra muscles in their face that enables them to adjust the shape of that disc so that it can uh, focus the the sound into the uh, into their ears, and the other thing is their ears are located behind those feathers in an asymmetrical position, so that helps them to be able to pinpoint the the distance very accurately as well. I thought this is an amazing design feature that has to be coordinated, and those features are in the DNA of the owl. So to locate the ears, to um, the DNA, to have the different shaped feathers grow that actually form this dish uh, has to be part of one DNA. But then there has to be other DNA that produces all the muscles so that the shape of the, uh, the owls can actually adjust the shape of their feathers to change the the focus. The other fascinating thing I was reading this article about owls is that the owls fly very silently. They have silent flight. And one of the things that contributes to that is the, the shape of their uh, feathers. Um, they, on their uh, feathers... Uh, the air, air turbulence that would normally be created by their wings is broken down by special little um, structures on the primary feathers of the leading edge of the owl's wing um, 
has uh, little comb-like structures. And then the secondary feathers have jagged edges that further reduce the turbulence. And so, again, this is a, an amazing, well, this is a, a real design feature of these, of these feathers. So there's all these different types of uh, feathers. Now, the, um, the other thing is that the owl uh, feathers have little sort of like Velcro groups in them, you know, that join the feathers together, um, that uh, all the little components of the feathers are held together by a system that's a bit similar to Velcro, you know, with the little loops and barbells sort of thing. And they have uh, owl um, feathers have an additional uh, structures and these um, enable the, um, these feathers, again, as they move to be... Uh, and the additional structure is uh, called uh, panula and these um, are little hair-like structures secondary on these little um, on the little uh, barbules of the feather that again dampen the noise that would normally be made by those little barbells sliding. So all this sort of intricate specialised design that all works together to make the flight of the owl virtually soundless. But again, all those structures are programmed in the DNA. And the DNA obviously then has uh, codes the, um, the body, the cells, to make all these different uh, structures that further reduce the noise. Matter of fact, these structures give a velvety feel to the uh, wings of an owl as well. But it's uh, quite fascinating that um, the scientists have actually used the, some of the ideas that they've got from the structure of um, owl wings to, ins- uh, to help engineers design quite a fan blades for computers. So that was, um, you know, quite quite in- interesting. The other very interesting aspect of um, owls is their eyes, and owls have quite large eyes. Perhaps that's what they're uh, famous for. Their their eyes are, are very large, and something that we see as a characteristic of owls. And so, for their size. They're much, much larger than our eyes. So our eyes are relatively small for our size, but they have very large eyes. Now, our eyes are a little bit different to most birds in that most birds can roll their eyes around and also the owl eyes, the bird's eyes are a little bit more to the side of the head, whereas the owl eyes are in the centre and they can't roll their eyes around. But what owls can do is they can actually move their head around through 270 degrees. So that's three quarters of the rotation of a circle. And they can do that up and down as well as round about sideways. And this 
flexibility of their head is because they have a whole lot of extra vertebra in their neck there. Now, again, when we think of this feature, in order to allow this to work, again, the code has to be there to make all these extra vertebra that fit in with the fact that the owl eyes are in the centre of its head and they can't rotate. So I think this, this to me illustrates that you've got design here. To have random chance produce these sort of features that um, I've been talking about or that I've learned about that are in owls, again, is just overwhelming evidence of design. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. For example, even with um, ducks and, and waterfowl, for example, if we um, saw another documentary where uh, when you look at the structure of their wings, they, as a duck comes in and lands, it's got to fly slowly and slowly and, and then land down. And as they've studied these ducks coming in and landing, it's amazing. So, you know, I used to think when you look at a bird, yeah, it's got a wing, it's got feathers and it flaps it and this sort of thing. But there's just so much more to that. For example, as the ducks come in to land, they actually adjust the shape of the feathers on the tips of their wing and they spread them out. The feathers actually spread apart and then just forward of the um, on the front edge of the, the wing and just in a little bit from the tips of the wing are a separate set of muscles operating a separate set of little feathers, like a little sort of finger of feathers. And these feathers, again, just as the duck is coming down, they open out and this stops the duck as it's lowering its speed from stalling and, and dropping hard onto the water, for example. It allows it to actually just come down and land very softly by changing the aerodynamics of the airfoil at that particular time. Now, this is the part of the landing mechanism, but when you think about this, you've got to have designed for all these muscles that operate all these different aspects of the wing. So it's not just the up and down movement of the wing. There's all these muscles that control the movement of the different feathers that change the aerodynamics of the wing so that the bird can fly under all sorts of different conditions and land and take off. Matter of fact, there are hundreds of muscles in the wings of all different types of muscles. So what I'm saying is there's hundreds of different types of muscles in the wings of birds. And when we look at this structure, all those muscles, to form those muscles, which have unique design, unique structures, where they're attached to on the bones, the way they're arranged, the nerves that control them, are all programmed by the genetic code. And to me, this is overwhelming evidence of an amazing creator engineers. Evolutionists have to believe that random, blind mutations could change a code so that this code could then produce all these coordinated muscles 
that actually work and coordinate and enable flight. You know, when you think about flight, we've had some some you know pretty clever scientists in the past. You know, if we move on from you know Sir Francis Bacon founding the Royal Society and the development of, of mathematics. Um, and calculus and Newton and the laws of uh, motion, the laws of physics and light and sound. And then moving on, we've got Maxwell's equations of an understanding energy, electromagnetic fields and so forth. But it wasn't until the early 1900s that man was able to design a machine and he needed an engine that enabled him to fly. I suppose you could say, well, we did have hot air balloons prior to that. But we, in terms of flying, there was an enormous amount of engineering, trying to go in, stunning birds, trying to get man to fly. And, of course, now we've got these little parachute things and people can hang an engine on them and, and fly around. We've got hang gliders and, and different things like that too now. With a lot of technology a lot of advanced science and a lot of our understanding of how to fly, how to design planes, you know, some of the different, um, you know, commercial jets, they're at the end of their wings are turned up. Again, this is all based on studying the design of birds and how birds fly and understanding how birds fly and studying the, the physics and the, you know, the flow um, and, you know, Bernoulli's equations and all these sort of things that have been developed. And uh, as we understand airflow models and lift and so forth, um, we've got teams and teams of engineers, aeronautics department, physicists, engineers and so forth, working together to design, you know, aircraft that, that can fly. And yet birds totally outperform aircraft and uh, I know I guess we could say well we've got you know super fast jet engines now can fly faster than birds but in terms of a maneuverability birds are absolutely amazing and we have to we're taught in schools that blind chance mutations produced these amazing structures and to me, if, if the biologists understood, hang on, you've got to have blind mutations, change a code that are made up of four chemical bases, four chemical types of molecules that we uh, attribute the name ACT and G to, that the, and this code f- from combinations of these can be read by a code-reading machine and produce the proteins that produce the structures that produce these amazing features that are all coordinated and work. Um, another one that um, I saw recently was in, in the hummingbirds, and hummingbirds are amazing with their, with their flight. And I was, I was fascinated to read at their heart, the little hummingbird heart, beats at 1,250 beats per minute. Just imagine that and the valving and the structure in that little heart that can beat so fast. And, of course, their wings can beat at tremendous speeds as well. But because, and they can hover, they can move up, down, backwards, sideways. 
these amazing little birds that you know took engineers a lot of you know quite a bit of study to build the equivalent that could do some of the actions of a of a hummingbird in terms of a mechanical model and again the hummingbird needs a lot of fuel to operate to um, you know to provide the energy to beat those wings at the high speeds that it beats and in all different directions. It can rotate its wings in all different directions. And again, the muscles that enable it to do that, the nerves that control those muscles are all encoded for in the genetic code. And one of the things, of course, that scientists saw, hummingbirds eat the nectar, a lot of them, and they thought, well, as it sticks its tongue in, its tongue is like a straw and sucks the, the nectar up. But, of course, nectar is quite vic- viscous, and to get enough uh, nectar that way actually wouldn't work real well. And it's been discovered, and I thought, this is really, really amazing. Let me try and describe it to you this way. I don't know whether you've seen, sometimes you might get a, a document sent to you and it might have, say, uh, some plastic covers or cardboard covers on the... And at the end, it's held together by uh, a plastic um, strip that is made up of a lot of little curly bits. And you can open out with your fingers, you could open out those little curly bits and lift out the pages. So at the the left side of the um, of the page, there'd be a whole lot of little rectangular holes maybe 20 little rectangular holes and for, for say, a, an A4-sized um, page. And that's where these little plastic tabs uh, fit through and they curve over. Now, the reason why I describe that is what they've found is on a hummingbird's tongue, as it sticks its tongue out of the beak to get the nectar, there are actually two of those, like those little plastic Uh, coils and those coils are made up of a whole lot of little independent tabs that as it sticks its uh, tongue into the nectar each of those little tabs there might be 20 or so tabs on the side of its tongue or more open out the nectar of course flows in then the little tabs close and encapsulate that nectar so it's sort of like these little mini scoops that scoop it up along into this very long tongue on either side of this very long tongue and then take it back in to the, um, the bird's mouth. So it's not a suck-up action. It's this little, these two tubes and then the sides of these tubes open out, but not in one long piece, but in a whole lot of little cups that can scoop up the nectar. And again, it's a brilliant design, absolutely brilliant design to cope with the viscosity and so forth of that particular uh, nectar and food that the bird needs, enables it to get large quantities in one go in a very short time, just in scoop, out. doesn't have to suck it up. And again, that amazing feature right, and all the components to it is in the DNA code. You know, when I look at the birds, and there are so many other things that could talk about in terms of the design of birds. You know what the 
the evolutionary model is that dinosaurs evolved into birds, right? And that some dinosaurs developed some feathers and um, their scales on the dinosaurs sort of evolved and became feathers and these feathers you know, eventually became enough that, and the dinosaur could, you know, flap its arms and had all these scales that had become feathers and it could could fly. Um, and other dinosaurs found, yeah, they could fly because they had to jump from tree to tree to catch insects or little animals. Or other ones, they developed um, these feathers and in order to swing them around to catch insects or something like that. And have all these crazy ideas, and and this is the scenario that we're fed that dinosaurs evolved into birds, and yet they're totally different. You know, the birds have hollow bones so that they're light. The birds have flow through lungs so that they, um, you know, can breathe while and get all that oxygen for the amount of energy they earn. So, so many things are different to to dinosaurs, and these all require different code totally different code and one of the very subtle features that perhaps people don't think about is it's amazing in that when birds fly all right they have quite large what we equivalent to human pectoral muscles i suppose on their chest that operate out that pull those wings down against the air but they also need very strong muscles to pull the wings back up but in a bird, those muscles aren't on top. Those muscles are also underneath so that the bird has ballast and stability in flight and those muscles instead operate over a little pulley system so that they're pulling from the top. In other words, the muscles that pull the top of the wing up run over like a little bone pulley system so to the muscle that is down underneath. And again, this is unique, amazing design. And it has to be coordinated. You've got to have the bone structure for the pulley. You've got to have now the muscle form in a way that it forms over the top of the pulley. And so even though it attaches to the top of the wing, it attaches over so it goes over this pulley and attaches underneath to the underneath part of the bird and hence can be a large muscle rather than have a large bulky muscle on top of the bird. These amazing features, again, are all evidence of a design. And the Bible tells us that that designer was God. That's the God that Christians worship. That's the creator God that the Bible talks about. That's the real God who answers prayer. The God that created those birds, that created the universe, that created the plants. That's the God that says... In the Bible, he wants to have a relationship with us. That's the God who wants us to pray to him, to come to him and accept him as our loving heavenly father, a father who wants to care for us and provide for us and bless us. And that's why he came to earth as Jesus Christ, our saviour, to demonstrate what he was like and so that we would come to know him in a very, very personal way. And, of course, the Bible is the account of those people who actually met God. I'd encourage you to read the Bible, especially the New Testament. The God that designed amazing birds is an amazing God.
You've been listening to Faith and Science. Remember, you can hear these programs again by um, just go on your search engine and enter 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au and click on the listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 